Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So if you would stand with me, 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 15 through 27. This is the Word of God. But I've used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have anyone make my boast an empty one. For if I proclaim the gospel, I have nothing to boast, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I proclaim the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So I do all these things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may be a, become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, and and we ask that you illuminate, illuminate it now to us so that we might be able to understand and submit, Lord God, to your holy word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a bit of a transition here as Paul continues on from what he was teaching in the previous passage about paying the ministers of the gospel, which I spoke about last week. And you can uh, check out the podcast or YouTube or whatever if you want to actually know just the podcast. It didn't, didn't go on Facebook or YouTube last week, but um, if you want to catch up, because there's a transition here, you're going to want to go back and kind of catch up on some of that to understand the context of this first uh, piece here. But uh, he was talking about paying the ministers of the gospel and how it is the responsibility of the flock, of the local church, to pay the pastors uh, or the ministers of God, whether they be an evangelist or a missionary or a, a church planter or whatever. It is uh, Paul making that argument that, that they should take care of those men who serve. Um, and so he begins here in this passage, he says, 
but I have used none of these things. So he's saying, I'm not exercising my right to be paid by the church in this particular case. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done in my case. He's not trying to convince the Corinthian people to begin paying him. That's not why he made the argument. He made the argument for those that would follow him in the ministry that, that, that it would be certain that they would be taken care of. But he says, For it would be far better for me to die than to have anyone make my boast an empty one. Essentially, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea about me and why I'm doing this. And so as a church planter, as an apostle, uh, he gave of himself freely, all right? And he's clarifying this. Um, verse 16, For if I proclaim the gospel, I have nothing to boast, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. He's saying, if I don't do what I have been called and set apart to do, then I'm in trouble. Woe is me. You don't get people saying, woe is me, unless it's a big deal, okay? I don't know if you guys have ever said, woe is me. I know that there are times in life that we feel that way. Woe is me, like, why is all this happening to me? What is going on here? Why am I having to deal with all of these things? So Paul is saying, in this context, if he were to shirk his responsibility as an apostle, then he, he says, woe is me, man. I, I, I'd stand before God, and I'd have to give an account for that. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Galatians 1, 15. I'll give you a second to turn there or to push your buttons to get there. Galatians 1, 15. And here's what it says. But when God, listen, listen to what he says. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb. Right there we see, just as a side note, right here we see that God set Paul apart, not from the time in which our world would consider him to be a human, but from his mother's womb. That there is life in the womb, and that God had a plan for him while he was yet in his mother's womb. And there are other scriptures that say the same thing about you and I, that while we were in our mother's womb, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. So we need to keep that in mind. And he called me through his grace, and then was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might proclaim him as good news among the Gentiles. Paul is making it very clear that there was a calling on his life. And he knew that he had no reason whatsoever to boast in himself or boast in his ability or to take any credit whatsoever for the calling on his life. How much credit can you take for your birth. Can I just take a moment and say thanks mom? Like thanks moms. Uh, I can take no credit whatsoever for my birth. I had nothing to do with it. I was along for the ride. Okay. Um, I was a bit of a surprise. Each and every one of you guys were along for the ride as well. You have had nothing to contribute to your birth. It was your mother uh, with the maybe the coaching of your father. Maybe, maybe not. And then perhaps a doctor or a midwife or whatever the case may be. You cannot boast and say, hey, guys, check it out. I was born. Like, there's nothing to boast about. That's the, that's the argument that Paul is making here. He's saying, I, I have nothing to boast about. I can't take credit for God's call on my life. Verse 17. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted 
to me. So Paul, again, is making the case that he was chosen, and this was not voluntary, okay? He didn't raise his hand and say, hey, Lord, take me, I volunteer. No, God knocked him off his donkey on the road to Damascus and blinded him and humbled him and called him and set him apart to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says, against my will, he uses that phrase, I had a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, Paul is not saying here that he didn't want to serve the Lord or that God was forcing him to do something he didn't want to do, but rather he's saying, I had nothing to do personally with my salvation, being knocked off the donkey, being humbled, and being called into the ministry. Like I was doing my own thing, thinking I was a righteous person, and God humbled me and showed me who I truly was and broke me. And isn't that our story? Is All of us who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's beyond our choice. It's beyond uh, anything that we can do to save ourselves. He had nothing to do with being set apart from his mother's womb. It was beyond his control. It was beyond his ability. It was beyond his choice. So in that way, he was doing it against his will. And you and I, when our eyes are opened and, and Christ calls us by name, we cannot look with eyes wide open at the reality of eternity in heaven with Christ, juxtaposed or compared to the reality of hell eternally set apart from Christ and look at those two realities with eyes wide open and choose hell. There's no way. There is no way. I use an example sometimes. What if I gave you a milkshake made of manure and a milkshake made of homemade vanilla ice cream and you knew exactly what was in the recipe of each? Are you going to choose the manure milkshake? Of course not. So when our eyes are open to the reality of heaven and hell and eternity, and we have that choice set before us, we would never choose hell. So that's what he's saying in this, in this section, and that's what we have to understand is that when Christ offers his grace to us and we truly understand it, and supernaturally the Spirit of God opens our eyes, then we see that his grace is irresistible. His grace is irresistible. We would never choose hell over eternity with heaven. It's a ridiculous thought. And so, let's continue to verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I proclaim the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my authority in the gospel. So Paul is saying here, in regard to the text last week, he has made the choice to do what he does and not take money from the Corinthian people, from the church at Corinth. Well, why does he say this? Because Paul wanted to be certain that every effort he made was done so for the glory of the gospel. He took no glory for himself, but he often said, I glory in the gospel. I glory in Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about the gospel. And when I glory, it's not a reflection of me. When I get excited, it's all about the lives that are being changed, the eternal destinations that are being changed, all of that. He glories in the cross, he glories in Christ, and he glories in the gospel. Do you guys, are you understanding that? That Paul didn't want to take anything away from the reward that Christ would give him. 
And so he felt like in this particular position in Corinth, if I take money from you, then perhaps I'm stealing from my eternal reward when I stand before Christ. So therefore, I don't want to do that, okay? He wants to leave that to Christ. And that kind of concludes the subject matter based on supporting God's men and Paul making clear that he himself does not ask to be supported in that way, although he makes the strong argument for pastors and evangelists and missionaries to be supported by the flock that they take care of their pastor, all right? And every single pastor, every single missionary, to whatever degree, whatever uh, level they feel called, then they either submit and operate in that freedom and they are supported by their church, or they can uh, exercise the right then to not partake in that support and they can work and do their own thing if that is in fact what God has called them to do. But now in this next section, Paul clarifies why his devotion goes far beyond even the idea of taking money from the church, okay? It goes far beyond that. So I want to begin this next section by making a very obvious statement. At least it should be obvious to each and every one of us in the room today. And I do this for the purpose of instructing this local body to have the right perspective, okay? Given the desires, I'm talking about me for a second, given the desires of my old nature, I can be an incredibly selfish person at times, okay? My old nature seeks to drag me back down into the grave. If you could picture that, I was once dead, I was once in the grave apart from Christ, and that old nature is clawing from the grave trying to drag me back down into that mud, into that the dirt, the soil of this earth that can drag us down and, and ruin us. That was once my default behavior. However, I gave my life to Christ. I submitted to the truth of the gospel. I made Christ my Lord. And in that, my Heavenly Father adopted me and He gave me a new nature, a brand new nature, my new man. And my new nature does not seek to fulfill my desires, but rather my new nature is willing to abandon all in order to fulfill God's desires through me. Does does everybody understand that? So, now let me be honest about you, just in case any of you guys are uh, maybe thinking, yeah, Michael, you are, uh, you are kind of a, a jerk, right? No, let, let, me, let me get us all on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. Given the desires of your old nature, you can be an incredibly selfish person as well. Can I get an amen? And uh, your old nature seeks to drag you back down into the grave. That was once your default uh, mode of behavior. However, if you have made Christ your Lord if you have submitted to the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit has enlightened you and opened your eyes and giving, uh, given you, uh, regenerated you, then the Father Himself has given you a new nature in your adoption, and that new nature now should not seek to fulfill your own personal desires, but rather you should seek to fulfill the desires of your Father through you. That's the whole point. And that is the heart of 
the passage today and what Paul is kind of arguing, beginning in verse 19, Paul states first, I am free from all. I have an incredible liberty. I am free from all, meaning the power and the penalty of our sin. It has been dealt with once and for all. The redemptive work of Christ was complete on the cross, and that is why Jesus uttered the three words, it is finished. Redemption was complete. He had done everything he had to do in order to impart his own righteousness to you so that one day when you leave this reality, you leave this world and you step into eternity, you can stand in the presence of God the Father and be covered in the righteousness of Christ. All right? Hebrews 7, 26 through 27, if you're taking notes, I'm going to say it a couple more times. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like the high priests in the past, does not need to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Listen to what this next part says. Because this, he did once for all, once for all, he offered himself up. Once for all. Incredible freedom comes along with that. That means your sin, if truly you are in Christ, your sin from the past, the sin that you will commit today or have committed today, And yes, the sin that you will commit in the future, all those future failures have been covered in the finality of that redemptive act and His redemptive work. Does it give us license to sin? Should we want to continue in sin? Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But this is incredible news for the true believer. We are truly free and we are not under the obligation of keeping the law and you are under no obligation of trying to prove yourself worthy to stand before God the Father because you can't do it. Only through Christ can that be done. He is worthy. And out of His own love for you and I, Jesus did everything He did to give us that incredible freedom. In fact, in uh, Galatians 5.1, this statement is made, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. He desires for us to be free. He desires for us to live a life without a heavy burden of guilt or shame or even the effects of sin in our lives. And then there's this obvious conclusion that anyone who is now in Christ, anyone who is now covered and washed clean by the blood of Jesus, this conclusion that you arrive at is the bold declaration of Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1. If I start saying it, you'll probably know it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is absolutely no condemnation. To bolster that argument, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are in Christ The wrath has been dealt with on the cross. That song we sang, the Father's wrath was completely satisfied 
in the work of Christ the Son. He took it all. He took everything that you deserved upon Himself, and He satisfied the Father's wrath. And there is not one single ounce of wrath or condemnation appointed to you and I if we are truly in Christ Jesus. We are free from all. And that's what he starts with. And then he follows it up with this statement. I am free. I am free for all, but I have made myself a slave to all that I might win more. Paul's saying, I recognize this freedom I have, this incredible freedom, but because I love people and because of my mission and my calling to win as many people as I can with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I voluntarily lay aside my personal freedoms. Instead of living selfishly, I will live my life day to day selflessly. Selflessly. I will give up any freedom necessary to be the witness that Christ Jesus has called me to be in order to reach anybody that I possibly can. And folks, this is the definition of dying to self. That's what it means to die to self, is no matter the cost, whatever we face, whatever trials or tribulations, whatever persecutions may come down the road in our lives because we, have, we are holding to Scripture, we are holding to the truth of God's Word, we are devoted to Him, no matter what comes our way, we will, we will do it all gladly. We will lay aside any freedoms that we must because we seek to do His will and not our own. But you know, our culture is absolutely cons consumed with selfishness. The common mindset is that the world revolves around me, right? Everyone needs to know what I am doing and everyone needs to affirm positively who I am and what I've been up to. What they believe, the question is, well, then how does that affect me, right? What they say, how does that make me feel? Am I getting the attention that I deserve, the respect that I deserve, the honor that I deserve? And don't you dare step on my personal freedoms. Didn't hear any amens on that one. That might be an oh me one, but that is the holy grail of American idolatry is our personal freedoms. And personal freedoms are a wonderful thing. And, and we should do everything that we can do in our freedom to honor God. But we also need to understand that when the ship sailed, the ship sailed and there comes a time in which we trust the Lord and say, okay, Lord, whatever your will is. And that's why I live, I will fight daily to preserve our rights as Americans. But I also live in the reality of knowing that there could be a day in my lifetime in which the United States of America ceases to exist in the way that it exists today. So what happens then? Is God still on His throne? Is He still sovereign? Can we still serve Him and live our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ even if all of our liberties are taken away? Absolutely we can. So let's keep perspective, folks, okay? You know, this last week, if I heard one time, I heard about a thousand times, my body, my choice. If I want to kill my baby, 
I have the, the freedom to kill my baby, and who are you to question that? What business is it of yours? Forget, see, that. forget that Jesus himself said the two greatest commandments are to love God first, and number two is to love others. We were joking last night. Krista thinks it's hilarious that I know almost every word to the Whitney Houston song, The Greatest Love of All. I, she asked me, how do you know that? I don't know. I, I lived during the era in junior high when Whitney Houston was huge, and, and so that song, all the girls and probably some of the guys were playing it constantly on the bus to ball games and speech trips and you know all kinds of stuff, and so the, the words are just seared into my brain. But she sang it like this. She says, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. The greatest love of all is happening inside of me. It's just how I love myself, right? That self-care that's become so popular, it's all about me. And we as Christ followers, of course, understand how ridiculous and wicked that notion is. But that cultural philosophy is still at war in our mind and in our hearts every single day. We know what God's Word says, and we know that it's true, but this selfish indoctrination is ringing in our ears constantly. And if we are not on our guard 24-7, aligning our lives with the truth of God's Word instead of the lies of the world... Even in the body of Christ, we can begin to believe the very lies of hell. That life is all about me. And that the greatest love of all is about me and self-love. When Jesus said, it's about loving God and it's about loving others. That's what it's about. You want to be fulfilled in your life? Learn that lesson. Deny yourself. And this is what Paul's talking about here. I saw a flowchart on Christian liberty that I think makes an excellent illustration, and, uh, and I want to show this to you guys, a flowchart on Christian freedom. So you, you see up at the top there, the top left, do all to the glory of God. It means simply that, that everything that you do in word and deed, you can honor Him, and even if you're eating a sandwich... Some menial task like eating a sandwich or taking out the trash, if you're doing what you do in, honoring, in an honoring way to God, in a way that is selfless and loving, then you are doing it in such a way that it becomes uh, gold, silver, precious stones, as opposed to doing it in a selfish way, wood, hay, and stubble. Okay? So everything you do in our freedom, we can do anything that we do, Every idle word or every word that comes out of our mouths can be honoring to God. And every act that we, everything we do, everything we say can be an act of worship to Him. Isn't that awesome? Everything. So that's 1 Corinthians 10.31. So knowing that then, the first question that you ask in Christian liberty is, does the Bible allow it? And then if no, very simple, then don't do it. Pretty simple stuff, right? If yes, then the next question on down the line is, well, does my conscience allow it? Can I do this and be free of shame and guilt? Or am I struggling with this particular... Even though I have freedom, do I struggle with it? 
Are there certain movies that cause me to struggle in a certain way, right? And this is across the board. Anything that you do that could be considered worldly, we can have freedom in all kinds of things very clearly as Scripture tells us. But the question is, does your conscience allow it? And if so, if yes, well, first, let's cover no, same as before. If no, your conscience doesn't allow it, then don't do it. It's that simple. If yes, then there are three further questions to ask. And these are all scriptural, and, and clearly we will see how this is covered uh, throughout the rest of the study. But the first question is this. What will be the effect of my actions on other Christ followers? Because here's what Scripture teaches. Loving them is more important than your own personal freedom. Second question, what will be the effect on those who are lost? How will it affect my witness as someone who claims to be a follower of Christ? Because the gospel is more important than your personal freedom. Winning souls is more important than your personal freedom. And what will be the effect on my spiritual life? Because my disciplined devotion and my spiritual uh, spiritual well-being is more important than my personal freedom. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Just, just logical to look at it in those terms. So with that context in mind, back to our passage, Paul is giving the church at Corinth a glimpse into his heart and the lengths to which he will go for his call and the mission of God for his life. And what drives him is his passion and love for the eternal destiny of these people. The Corinthian church struggled with this as, again, we will continue to see as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, they get scolded often about love and their, or their lack of love, all right? Uh, but Paul uses these examples in verses 20 through 22. And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who were under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And Paul is not a pragmatist here. He's not saying, uh, you know, I'll dress up like a clown and do whatever I have to do in order to fill the church pews. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying he would abandon the truth, what he knows to be the truth, uh, or the gospel to win people in order to put rear ends in all the chairs. That's not what Paul is arguing here. He's not even saying that he would compromise in any way the gospel message or compromise in order to draw a crowd. He's saying no matter where the people that he is trying to reach stand in their lives, he will leverage their understanding to whatever degree in order to open the doors to share the gospel with them. That's what he's saying. He will make his case starting with what they believe to be true and from there reveal to them why they need Christ. And again, we refer you back to the very first part of 1 Corinthians where he makes the argument that there's the foolishness of men and then there's the wisdom of God. All right? And, and he's all about the wisdom of God. He's not trying to manipulate people. And then verse 23, so I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. So Paul is saying here that he wants everyone he shares the gospel with to join him as a part of the true family of God. 
fellow partakers in all the benefits and, and all of the blessings that come along with being a member of the body of Christ. Verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. To compete and win a race, it takes training. It takes discipline. It takes self-control. We all know that. And the type of race that Paul is talking about, he's making the argument that there's only one winner. But for us, for the body of Christ, there's not just one winner. We can all be winners. It's a, we're all in this race. Our, actually, the, the um, competition in our race are the obstacles of this world the distractions that would take us off course, uh, both physical and spiritual, the things that entangle us, Paul says, the, the things that so easily entangle us and get us tripped up, we never, ever, ever compete against our brothers and sisters in Christ. I hear this often. Recently, I was talking to uh, someone, and they mentioned how, well, if you want to compete with, talking about the church, if you want to compete with a life church, or if you want to compete with church on the move, and I was like, compete? I don't want to compete with any church. We're the body of Christ. That, that thought didn't even enter my mind. We're not competing against other churches. We're competing against the desires of the world, your own flesh, and the enemy who seeks to destroy you because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we do need to understand that this prize is not just going to be handed to you, that you can just take a nap on the side of the track and wake up and then one day you're escorted into glory and, and given a participation trophy. A contrary to popular belief, that's not how this race works. And again, perspective is everything. It, it is the end of the race, the eternal outcome. That should be what drives us toward the prize every single day of our lives. Look at verse 25. Now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it then to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You see how he points to the eternal? That the purpose of your life is not about what you get in the here and now. It's about what you get when you stand before God. Because we all know you can be incredibly successful here on this earth and just completely miss the point of life. You can completely miss it. You can accomplish so much in this corruptible world, but still run aimlessly with no destination, and at the end of your life, stand before God and have nothing to show for it. Remember Jesus' question, For what doth it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's possible. There are a lot of people who are running aimlessly. There are a lot of people who are going to stand before him in the end and have nothing to show for it. One of, one of my favorite movies is, is Rocky. And uh, you can train. We, we all know the, the montages of, with Gonna Fly, you know, playing in the background, that, that awesome song that, you know, gets me all pumped up. And uh, you could train like Rocky Balboa and you can be a specimen to behold in the world's eyes. Like everybody looks up to you and says, now that guy, he's got it all together. Or that gal, boy, she's really got her stuff together, right? Except 
if you do nothing of eternal value while you're here, it's like boxing the air. You have no opponent. Like you're running aimlessly. There's no purpose in your training. There's no purpose for having it all together because you're doing it all for worldly value rather than an incorruptible eternal value. Do you understand? That your life will be judged in the end and you will have accomplished nothing. And Paul uses this this, uh, illustration in verse 26. He says, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I'm not just running aimlessly all over the place. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not just boxing my own shadow. Well, how? How do we do that? How do you and I do that? How are we certain that we're not running aimlessly or boxing the air? Here's what Paul says he does. He takes his devotion to the extreme. He gives up everything that he has to give up, and he does without whatever he has to do without, and he disciplines himself. In verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. Your body does not control you. Stop making excuses. If you get pregnant, there's something that led to that. Okay? I think we all know how that works. We don't have to go back to junior high health class. There's ways to be responsible and prevent it, even for people who are godless pagans who want to live and do whatever they want to do. There are still ways to prevent a pregnancy right? There's no excuse. But Paul's saying here, I discipline my body. I have self-control in every area. I make my body my slave. He says, I buffet my body. I push myself. And that word, when he says, I discipline my body, it actually literally means I give myself a black eye. Like, you know, I beat myself up. And, and y'all, just so you know, fasting is that sort of thing. Fasting is putting your body, your, your, your body, your physical body under control, making it your slave. And that's why Jesus fasted. And that's why people in the Old Testament fasted. And that's why we see all of these things. Jesus didn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. That's another sermon for another day. But yes, there's a place for that in our lives as well. We bring our bodies into submission. We make our bodies know that we're the boss, that our spirit leads us in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that our carnal desires do not control our mind, our heart, our will, or our emotions. Can I get an amen on that? So eternity is what matters most. And he's saying, whatever I have to do here to keep my focus, whatever personal comforts I have to abandon, I will do it in light of my calling and my purpose here on this earth. In light of my eternal reward, I am willing to do whatever I have to do. And he says this in the context of his preaching the gospel. Why? Well, look at verse 27. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So he's saying, I'm going to make certain that I'm absolutely certain. I'm going to know that I know that I know that whatever I have to do, I'm going to do to stand before God and hear Him say those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's saying, I will not be disqualified. I'm making certain of it by submitting everything to Him, by going all out, to to use an overused sports um, phrase, I'm going to leave it all on the field, right? 
you won't hear many sports phrases from me, so you might want to write that one down. So to each of us today, what comforts do we personally hold dear? What are the areas of our lives that we are not willing to lay at Christ's feet? Are there areas of our lives that we are holding back? Have we compartmentalized our spiritual lives and our daily lives? Are we one way on Sunday and someone else on Monday through Saturday? Is our devotion and our passion for the Lord the same on the weekdays and Saturday as it is when we come in this place and we are around our brothers and sisters of Christ? Are we willing to be stretched? Are we willing to grow? Are we willing to be disciplined? Because you know, Peter says that that is actually the evidence of knowing that how someone is truly saved is that they're growing and they continue to grow. It's not this growth spurt and then all of a sudden they stay the same way for 40 years. They never change. They never grow, right? We have to push forward. And that's what Peter's saying. You are actually saved if you're progressing and growing and moving forward. So do everything that you have to do to get yourself around God's people, to get yourself in the Word of God, to be passionate about His mission for each and every one of us in this earth for the time that we've been given because we don't know how long we have, right? We could be gone tomorrow. So what is your level of devotion in light of eternity given the fact that you only have a, an allotted number of ticks on the clock in your life? What is your level of devotion? And what will Christ say to you when you stand before Him? You know it's okay to ask that question. When you stand before Him and your husband or your wife or your kids or all your family, your preachers not standing there with you and you are standing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, what will He say to you when you stand before Him? My prayer is that you will all continue to push ahead no matter the cost, that you will make it your highest priority in life to know Him and, and be certain that He knows you. And that you will give your life with abandonment and give up whatever you have to give up to make certain that you are following Him and living your life to the utmost ability for His highest calling. Not only that, that you would give of yourselves in such a way that it would inspire your children. That they would give of themselves as well and ask those questions today. What are you willing to give? Are you willing to be stretched? Are you, are you seeing growth in your life? And what will He say to you when you stand before Him?